A blessing is something that every person longs to have. We all desire to live a blessed life. We long to experience the blessing of life. Now, that's not a religious concept. That's just a life concept. Uh, You see, hashtag blessed, one of the most prominent hashtags used on social media when people describe Monday morning coffee, hashtag blessed. Or uh, a grandpoppy holding his grandbaby, Nora Hayes, hashtag blessed. Now, whether you're religious or not religious, people long to experience a blessed life. The challenge, though, is the only way that you and I can experience the kind of blessing that our heart yearns to know is to experience it from the hand of God himself. You see, blessing, which we find throughout Scripture, uh, if you uh, look throughout Scripture, you see that Abram gave a blessing, uh, and Isaac gave a blessing. And you see in, in Psalm 1, the beginning of the Psalter begins with a blessing. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But blessed is the person who delights himself in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That picture of uh, being a tree planted by the river of water is a picture of what blessing is. It is literally a taste of heaven on earth. It is a return to the design that God uh, created when he created the heavens and the earth and the, and, and the birds and the bees and the fish and the sea and male and female in his own image and likeness. It is returned to that Garden of Eden pre, uh, before the, the fall into sin that we have all experienced. Blessing is uh, this way of life, the overflowing joy and satisfaction in life that comes from the hand of God himself. And if you don't know God, you can't know blessing. That's why people search for Monday morning coffee. Uh, well, I do too, but the only delight is Monday morning coffee or uh, some, some uh, tidbit, uh, uh, tasty morsel in life that somehow will uh, uh, alleviate the, the anxieties or the fears or the concerns or the lack of contentment or satisfaction, anything that will numb the pain of not experiencing blessing. Uh, We search for that, and people, uh, religious and non-religious, are searching for that kind of blessing. They want a taste of heaven here on earth, but can only come from the hand of God. Today, we're looking in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. Uh, This Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Uh, We're going to look over the next several weeks at verses 1 through 16, and 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 we're looking at how to experience a taste of heaven here on earth. And as I've already shared, and I don't want to kind of, I I don't want to be subtle about this. If you do not have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, 
that has changed your life, then you will never experience a blessed life. That's what the gospel has come to do. And in Isaiah chapter 61, we hear Jesus um, speaking through the prophet Isaiah even before he was born in Bethlehem. He said, the the, the Spirit of the Lord is uh, is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to uh, the spirit of liberty to those who are held captive to comfort those who mourn, to those who mourn in Zion. This is the promise of the gospel that Jesus delivers, that we who are sick because of our sin, diseased in our soul, can experience a new life. To, uh, we can experience a new heart. We can be born again. There's nothing more new than being born again. We can experience this new way of life through the good news that Jesus came to die for sinners upon a cross. Jesus came to die in your place for your sin, to pay the penalty that your sin demands, that my sin demands. Jesus came uh, fully God yet fully man, and he died upon a cross for sinners like you and me so that he might... um, Bridge the distance between a holy God and a sinner like us. Jesus died for us upon a cross so that the penalty of our sin might be paid for and so that we might walk in a forgiveness that only he could give. He was buried and he was raised three days later so that we might have the promise of a new life, a taste of heaven on earth. And friends, if you have not entered into a relationship with God, through faith in Jesus who died for your sin and was raised from the dead, then you will never experience a blessed life. You'll never taste heaven on earth the way God has designed. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if indeed you have experienced that wonderful, life-giving rescue of Jesus in your life, then you know what it means to be hashtag blessed. You understand that this good news that God has given us in Christ shapes our lives toward satisfaction, toward fulfillment, toward joy. We've been rescued, and that rescue itself sets us on a pathway of blessing. But why is it that followers of Jesus, even today, people who have been rescued from sin's grip and shame, why is it that we, too, fail to experience heaven on earth. Now, why is it that we miss a blessed life? Well, it's because the gospel not only rescues us and gives us a new life, but it also gives us a new way of doing life. And as followers of Jesus, if you and I are going to walk in the blessing that God has made available, we must do life God's way. We have to walk this path that Jesus paints in the Beatitudes. So turn in your copy of Scripture to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin looking at the first three Beatitudes. And what these three Beatitudes teach us is that we can walk the pathway of blessing when we adjust our attitude to fit Christ's character. The Beatitudes themselves are an autobiography. 
Jesus is describing himself, and he's describing his expectation of those who are part of his family. And Jesus is describing his character, and the first three Beatitudes tell us that as followers of Jesus, there are attitudes that we have that must be adjusted to fit his character if we're going to walk in the blessed life, if we're going to taste heaven on earth that he has designed. So, uh, as we look at this, and, and an attitude adjustment, you know, that's, that's what I'm talking about here. Attitude adjustment. I, there, there's a, a, a professional wrestler um, uh, who is uh, uh, named John Cena. Now, when I was growing up, uh, the professional wrestlers had names like Junkyard Dog and uh, uh, Stunning Steve Austin and uh, Hulk Hogan. The Iron Horsemen, the Arn Brothers, these are wrestlers. And also, let me just say, I'm, uh, when I talk about wrestling, I'm talking about the real stuff. I'm not talking about the fake stuff you see in high school. I'm talking about the real stuff you see on television. Well, there's this professional wrestler named John Cena, and, and he's a wrestler, and he's an actor, and he's a wrestler, and who knows what he does. But anyway, he had this move, and all again, all wrestlers, again, the real stuff that happens on TV, not the uh, fake stuff that happens in schools and on mats in schools. Uh, I, all the wrestlers have a move, and his move is called the attitude adjustment. And that's where he takes you, and he drops you on his on your back and he hurts you and you've got an attitude adjustment. Well, the truth is we need an attitude adjustment. Now, what does that look like? Well, uh, think of it like this. You know, last week uh, it was hot. Aren't you glad it was cooler weather today? I mean, man, I woke up praising Jesus, hashtag blessed. But what was it, Tuesday and Wednesday, the heat index was over 100. It was humid. It was hot. You walk outside and you feel like you've been punched in the nose. It, it's on days like that that I'm thankful for, I'm more thankful for a thermostat than a thermometer. You think about it, a thermometer will tell me it's 90 degrees outside. I get in my car on Tuesday or Wednesday and I start it up and it's got that little thing on the air conditioner that tells me how hot it is outside, 92, 93, 95 degrees, and I see that and I, I, I'm, th I you know, that's nice to know, but I don't need the thermostat, uh, the thermometer to tell me how hot it is. I need the thermostat to cool the car down. That's what a thermostat does. A thermostat doesn't just tell you how hot it is. It cools things off or heats things up, depending on what, what is needed. In the same way, what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, he's not He's not merely telling us what our attitude is and what it should be, but he's, he's giving us a thermostat, not just a thermometer reading. He's giving us a thermostat on what it takes to adjust our attitude so that we walk with a blessed life. So as we look at the attitude adjustment, and, and by the way, you all need an attitude adjustment, and I do too. Some of you might say, oh, I can't believe you're saying I need an attitude adjustment. Well, really? Let's get real. Let's not play games. You know, we, we complain about wearing masks in church, but the truth is some of us have been wearing masks in church for decades. So let's take the mask off and let's just, by the way, Seth 
uh, Peterson, our student pastor, asked me to say that line in particular, and I did. And so, uh, I, I just, I gave him that line. I, anyway, I, he's probably not even in the room. Oh, there he is. Yes. Okay. Well, thank goodness he's in the room to hear that line. Uh, but anyway, we, 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 we don't need to wear a mask trying to cover, pretend like we got it all together. Well, let's just be real. We need an attitude adjustment. Uh, how many of y'all raised teenagers? How many of you wish that you didn't? I know. I love it. I, I, I believe y'all. Just watching, you know, one of the values of being uh, at a church for a long period of time is you see these little children that were, you know, like knee high to a grasshopper, and now they're taller than I am by like 10 inches, right? It, it's, it's wonderful to watch that growth. But, but teenagers, you know, they gave me an attitude adjustment every single day. You might say, well, give you an attitude. Yeah, I mean, if you've raised teenagers, you know, oh my goodness, God help my attitude, right? And, and it's, been, it's, been, it's a wonderful journey. It's a painful journey. It's a growing journey, but it, it, it involves a daily attitude adjustment. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You need an attitude adjustment every single day. That's why we have God's Word. That's why His Spirit resides within us. It's called renewing your mind, by the way, in Scripture in the New Testament. Uh, it, it's... it's uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship, and do not be conformed any longer to the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's an attitude adjustment, that you might prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I need an attitude adjustment. That's what God's going to give us today. So what is this attitude adjustment where we adjust our attitude to fit the character of Christ? Well, as we look at these Beatitudes, the first three, we see the attitudes that we need to have to walk in the blessing that Jesus has given us. And the first attitude is we need to acknowledge that Jesus is the answer to all our needs. Jesus is the answer to all our needs. You might say, well, Eric, you don't know my emotional needs or my financial needs or, or, or my psychological needs. You, you don't understand. And I would say, you're right. I probably don't understand, but I can tell you Jesus is the answer to all our needs. This is an attitude adjustment from, I can handle this, demolish that attitude and declare Jesus is my only hope. Can I ask you? is Jesus your only hope? Now, you might say, well, of course he's my only hope, but are you living like Jesus is your only hope? That's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 5. Let's, let's look at verses 1 through 3. We'll, uh, that's the introduction and then the first beatitude. Seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain. When he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus said poor in spirit, he was thinking about people who are in need, people who are living even in uncomfortable or unfavorable circumstances. He's thinking about people uh, like you and me in the midst of a pandemic. He's thinking about people whose emotions are frayed at the ends uh, at, at the, uh, and living at the edge of, of chaos. It's, he's thinking about people who don't have enough 
money to feed themselves or pay their bills. He's thinking about people who are um, emotionally bankrupt. He's thinking about people who are spiritually bankrupt. Now, poor in spirit are those who understand that, that uh, uh, if I'm going to have life itself, it's going to be because uh, God gave it to me. You think about it. Uh, again, I, I'm, I have a granddaughter. She's four months old. It's my first granddaughter. Her name is Nora. And uh, I got to hold Nora the other day. Here's the thing about Nora. She's four months old. If she's going to give, get food, it's because somebody gives it to her. If she's going to uh, be comforted, it's going to be because somebody's holding her. If she's going to be clean, it's because somebody bathes her. She is absolutely dependent on another. And friends, that's what poor in spirit is about. It's you and I, as followers of Jesus, stopping the attitude that says, I can handle this on my own. I've got this. No, you don't. The poor in spirit declare, I can't handle life. Jesus is my only hope. I need Jesus for my relationship. I need Jesus for my emotions. I need Jesus for my finances. I need Jesus for my life itself. It's no longer living with different parts of Eric Thomas in a box where I have this religious side of Eric Thomas and I put this religious uh, part of Eric in a box and then I have my marriage in this box and I have my parenting in this box and I have my church stuff in this box and I have my work and my fun. I have it in different boxes and, and I look at all these other boxes and I say, okay, God, you've got the religious stuff and I'll take care of the rest. And that's why so many of us as followers of Jesus are missing the blessed life. It's because we're trying to navigate these three or four, five other boxes, and we say, God, you've got the, you've got the religious part, but I'm going to handle all this other stuff. In fact, God, why don't you not try to invade my space on these other pieces? If we're going to be poor in spirit, by the way, that is what Jesus calls us to be, then we are going to take all the contents of all of our boxes, and we're going to pour them out at the foot of Christ's cross, and we're going to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to lead me through all of this. I can't handle it on my own. Jesus, you are my only hope. And when we pour out our lives before Jesus, we are demonstrating that attitude of poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit means that Jesus will take over. And he will lead us by heaven's rule. Now, that's, that's the promise. What, what's the blessing? If, if the attitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, what is the blessing? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? It means that we now can live each moment of our everyday life and all the way into eternity with the absolute confidence that God himself is directing our steps. He's leading us day by day, moment by moment, second by second, and he's leading us into the hashtag blessed life. 
And even when the circumstances are unfavorable, I am blessed because I'm walking in intimacy with the living God. Even when the storms are raging, I am blessed because I am I am held together by Jesus himself. I'm living each moment embraced by the grace that God offers in Christ. If we're going to experience a blessed life, it comes from the hand of God, and it begins when we get rid of, I can handle this, and we embrace, Jesus is my only hope. Jesus is the answer to my need. The second attitude that we see is found in the second beatitude, and it declares that we are broken over our sin. Our heart breaks over our sin. Now, that is verse 4. Now, look at verse 4. So, verse, one, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We all want to be comforted, don't we? I mean, there's not a person alive that doesn't want to experience the comfort that God alone can provide. We look for it in different ways. My, uh, my wife sometimes gets frustrated with me because uh, I, I look to her uh, to, uh, uh, to affirm me. See, I don't need a lot of approval in my life, and, and this is personality stuff. I, I don't really need a lot of approval. I don't need a lot of affirmation, except from my wife. I need it from her. And so I, there'll be those days when I'm, and she calls me a little boy when I do this, and I am. I'm acting like a little boy. I'll go, honey, honey, pay attention to me. Acknowledge me. See me. Comfort me. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm asking my wife to satisfy a desire in my heart that only Jesus can fulfill. See, the Bible tells us that we long to be comforted, but the only way for us to get comforted is first and foremost to mourn over our sin. That picture of mourning is what happens when our heart breaks. And it's an adjustment from an attitude that says, my sin is no big deal, or an attitude that says, well, I, I might have sinned, but I'm not nearly as bad as those other people. Some of us love to watch the news, not because we like the news itself. It's just that we look at people and we, we measure our goodness by their badness. And we say, well, yeah, maybe I did wrong, but I'm not nearly as bad as them, which is a lie in of itself. The Bible tells us that we need to be broken over our sin. Instead of blaming the world for all the sins that it has done, why not let's begin by owning our sin? Now, I'm not asking you to manufacture some sort of emotional trauma uh, in your heart because of sin that you've done, but I am suggesting that every day that we wake up as followers of Jesus, if we want to live a blessed life and experience the comfort that God offers, then we need to acknowledge our sin. You might say, well, how do I mourn over sin? Well, the first step in mourning over sin, the first step in being broken over sin is coming clean with God 
about your sin. Actually telling God, God, I know that this is sin, and I know that this is sin, and I know that this is sin. God, I know that I have sinned. Here is a list of the sins that I have done. And, and, and when we begin the day and end the day confessing our sin, then our heart will open up and our heart will begin to break over the sin that we have done. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you really are a follower of, uh, of Jesus, then you have a new heart, and that new heart hates sin. What happens is we start sinning and we act like it's no big deal. We harden that new heart. And the Bible tells us the antidote for a hardened heart is confession and repentance. It's what David did in Psalm 32. Psalm 32, David said, uh, when I kept silent about my sin, my, my bones grew old through their groaning all the day long. Uh, your hand was heavy upon me, and I, my, my vitality turned to the drought of summer. When I acknowledged my sin to you, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, I believe that one of the greatest attitude adjustments that I need in my life every day throughout the day is that my sin is no big deal. The minor sins. You know, we, we have major and minor sins. We classify them this way. Oh, it's a minor sin that I gossiped about somebody. It's a minor sin that I spoke ugly uh, to somebody. It's a minor sin that I expressed myself in anger. Those are minor sins. They're not that big a deal. No, we need to have our hearts breaking over those sins. Oh, Pastor, I can't believe you're talking about those silly sins when you've got all these bad sins going on. Can I tell you, I think that the world would begin to change a little bit for the better if you and I would spend more time dealing with our sin rather than blaming the world for its sin. If we're going to live a blessed life and walk in the comfort that God offers, it is when we confess our sin, and turn from it. Jesus is the answer to our need. It's no longer I can handle it. Now it is Jesus is my only hope. Our heart breaks over sin. It's no longer my sin is no big deal. But now it is my heart is breaking over my sin. And the third attitude adjustment is we live for God's desire. We live to fulfill God's design and desire in our everyday life. Now, this flies in the face of much of what we do. See, much of what we do is I'm going to pursue my desire. I'm going to do what I want. Now, you see this come out, and guys, I've got to tell you, it, it, in this day and time, in this season of the church especially, it is so disheartening when followers of Jesus, whom I count as mature believers, it's not that we disagree. It's that if we disagree, we're enemies. Can I tell you, the world is not watching about whether we agree on everything. We're not going to. My goodness, Kevin Beardsley's wearing an Ohio State face mask. What can get worse than that? <laughs> Go Vols. Um, it's not that we disagree. 
We're going to disagree. The world is watching how we disagree. And I'm so thankful for so many of you. You you have disagreed with me. And I get it. I do. I disagree with me sometimes. But so many of you have been so gracious and so kind and so loving and supportive, even in disagreement. That's what God is looking at. That's what the world is watching. It's not that we're going to agree on everything. It's how we disagree. But then there are some that they disagree loudly and with anger because they want things their way. They want to be in control. And when we live to be in control, when we live to fulfill our desire, then we automatically forfeit a blessed life. You see that? I I want you to understand that. When you and I live to fulfill our desire, and that's our supreme goal, then we automatically forfeit a blessed life. Go sell that in a self-help seminar somewhere. No, we experience a blessed life when we live to fulfill God's desire. It's an attitude adjustment. One attitude says, I did it my way. But that needs to be dismantled. And we need to say and live, I did it God's way. And those are two different things and two different attitudes. That's what Jesus is getting at when he uses, and this is perhaps one of the most confronting Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek? 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 Really? Meek? Yeah, I've heard it said meek does not mean weak. That's not really true. Meek does mean weak in your own strength, empowered by God and living in his strength. That's meek. Meek means gentle and humble, not boisterous with uh, personal bravado, seeking self stuff. Meek means that I let go control and I pursue God's control. Meek means that I find joy surrendering myself each moment of each day to God's sovereign control and rule over my life. And by the way, I've got to tell you, that's the best place to be anyway. Because when we walk the path of meekness, surrender to God, to his design and desire, when we walk the path of meekness, it's in those moments that we taste the joy of heaven. We receive a taste of the inheritance that is ours because we belong to God. The truth is, I I want you to live a blessed life. I want to live a blessed life. But there is a path that we must walk, even as followers of Jesus, to experience that blessed life. What's the attitude that needs to be adjusted in your life today? 
Remember that blessing comes. A blessing that satisfies and sustains us. A blessing that gives us joy even in the midst of unfavorable circumstances. A blessing that gives us a taste of heaven even here on earth. For that kind of blessing, we need God to do it. And in order for us to receive it, even as followers of Jesus, we must be poor in spirit. We must mourn over our sin. And we must surrender control to God. Be meek. My prayer for you, for us, is that we would allow the gospel to shape our lives, that we would walk each day in the blessing that God provides. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Today, you might be walking a path and you don't feel hashtag blessed. You may be living in this season and you don't feel like that God is blessing you. How can you as a follower of Jesus turn that around? How can you experience the blessed life? Even in unfavorable circumstances, even in difficult times, even in the midst of a crazy, chaotic pandemic, how can you know when you wake up in the morning and you go to bed at night that you are blessed? How can you live in the overwhelming joy of heaven's embrace every single moment of every single day? It begins with an attitude adjustment. You walk through every relationship, every circumstance, every uh, situation at work, every emotional difficulty. You walk through it beginning with this attitude. Jesus is the answer to my need. He is my only hope. You see your sin in the light of God's holiness and your heart breaks. So you go to Jesus. You say, will you once again hear my prayer of confession and repentance and restore to me the joy of salvation? You look to Jesus who could call down 10,000 angels as he died upon a cross and yet in meekness he suffered and bled and died for sinners because that was God's desire. And we want to be like Jesus. Not living in our own strength, but surrendered to God's control. How can we as followers of Jesus live hashtag blessed? By setting our focus on Jesus.